0: The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Welcome to The Articulate Coven, the unofficial podcast for Anne Rice's The Vampire Chronicles and the upcoming TV series based on uh, Anne Rice's novels about the vampire Lestat and the rest of The Articulate Coven. We are your hosts. I am Joel Sharpton.
1: Hi, I'm Ashley Wright-Eiler.
0: And we are so glad to be back with you. Uh, we have heard your cries. Uh, we know that you are desperate for new, uh, podcasts. And here we are, uh, with yet another episode. Uh, and this is a special one. Uh, Ashley, you and I were already doing research for the next episode. Uh, we're, we're reading our novels. And then I messaged you and said, Hey, let's change course. Let's, let's shift course midstream here. Uh, and we need to cover the mummy. This is for the first time in our podcast, um, a timely episode of some sort.
1: Yes, yes, and for me, I'm super excited because this was a first-time read for me, so I'd never read The Mummy before, and it's awesome.
0: So, uh, as I said, uh, we do cover the Vampire Chronicles, uh, the novels by Anne Rice, and the upcoming TV series, Spearheaded by Anne and her son, Christopher. Uh, however, we also are going to, on occasion, cover the other novels written by Anne. This one is one of those. It's not in the Vampire Chronicles series, although uh, there are some connections that we'll talk about as we go. Um, but this novel, The Mummy, or Ramses the Damned, was written in 1989. I, I didn't know it at the time, um, but in my research for this, it actually it never came out in hardback. or or at least the first edition was not a hardback. The first edition was a large paperback. So it was sort of a pulpy novel from the very beginning. That was the way even the publisher viewed it, I think. Uh, It is set in the early 20th century. It follows the collision between a British archaeologist family and a resurrected mummy, as you might imagine from the title. Uh, It does end on a bit of a cliffhanger, and it includes the statement, The Adventures of Ramses the Damned Shall Continue. And now... Almost 30 years later. um Finally. Yeah, we're finally gonna get a sequel. It's actually it's coming out on November twenty first, two thousand seventeen. And and actually, before we get into the book itself, I want to tell everybody that's listening listening to this. If you have not seen the news, um, they are actually running a special promotion. This is on Christopher's Facebook page, is where I found this information. But you can, if you pre order a copy of the novel, uh, Ramsey's The Damned, The Passion of Cleopatra. That's the sequel. Anne Rice and Christopher Rice writing together for the first time. If you pre order the book and then eat email a copy of your receipt. And he said, you know, you can mark out your specific details there. You don't have to a- actually email him the receipt itself. You just need to show him <laughs> proof that, that you purchased a copy of it. But if you email that to Ramsey's novel at gmail.com, and I'm going to put this in the show notes too. Once the book is out, they're going to send you a copy of the manuscript, uh, not the whole thing, but one page from the original manuscript and it'll be signed by both Ann and Christopher. So that's a really, really cool keepsake. If you're a fan of, uh, of uh these books if you're a fan of these uh authors um make sure and do that so so make sure that that happens uh go to um, ramsey's novel at gmail.com that's the email send that email in when you pre-order the book and you can get your copy i did it the other day ashley i'm so excited
1: i'm going to definitely uh pre-order this bad boy now because i want it in my hands the second it's available
0: (laughs) So let's do a few spoiler-free things here, in case you're listening to this and you've never read the Mummy, and and before you get into our actual spoiler discussion, you want to go and check it out yourself. Um, then, uh, let's talk a little bit about how this sets it apart from the other the Vampire Chronicles books and, um, what we thought of it overall. Uh, and again, spoiler-free. So the, the first thing that stands out for me, Ashley, there's a lot of sex in this one. If you're a fan oh, of, yes. um, if you're a fan of uh, Anne's uh, erotica books or uh, some of the other writing. That she's done outside of the vampire novels, um, she is. I mean, in the vampire books themselves are very sensual, but because of the nature of her mythology of vampirism, there's not really an opportunity very many times in the novels for a sexual encounter to take place, um, an actual sexual encounter, I should say. And that's just not the way the vampires work. But these mummies, <laughs> they are the these antithesis are horny of that. <laughs> yeah, these horny, are horny mummies. Horny mummies. They make
1: they make people horny for the mummies. So yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of sexy time in this book.
0: In so many ways, I feel like we're going to get into some specifics, but in so many ways, it does feel like Anne wanted to take all of the things about her vampires and just write the exact opposite of that. You know, uh, while Ramses is a character that understands the weight of immortality, he does not dwell on good and evil in the way that almost any of the vampire characters do. Uh, This is not a novel that is really concerned with, um, you know, the struggle for redemption it is very much a rollicking adventure and the immortals themselves, the way that their powers work is very, very much. I mean, just point by point, it seems like exactly the opposite of the way that her vampires work.
1: It definitely to me feels a lot different when you, when you called it more of an adventure, it's, it really, it feels that way. And it reads that way. It read, I read this book so quickly just devoured it because it was so much fun like there's there is a level of like of like suffering and sadness about the immortality and things like that but it's not anything like like dealing with like sad sad sack louis you know it's much more it's much more exciting and and i think because they're able to reveal themselves to people a little bit differently it's i don't know it's just it's a different it's a totally different feel i had so much fun reading this book
0: uh, I, I did too. And I had fun reading it again. Uh, so probably this read was my fourth time through the novel altogether, I would say. Um, It is one that I've gone back to a few times, but it had been years and years, probably 10 or 15 years since I'd read it again. And and I really, really did enjoy it. I, I, and so I'll just say this. If you've never read this book before, if it's one that you've passed over thinking mummies really aren't your thing or Egypt's not really your uh, scene, so to speak, I would, uh, I would caution that if you enjoy Anne's writing, this is definitely one to take in, especially if you've enjoyed, I would compare it most of the Vampire Chronicles. I would say it compares most favorably to the Tale of the Body Thief in that it is That's a. That's
1: exactly what I thought too. Yeah.
0: It's all about plot, right? I mean, it like it very, it moves forward very quickly and, um, and it is very much an adventure story. Bits of mystery that are revealed. There are flashbacks to ancient times, which in many ways mirrors some of the things that she's doing in the more modern Vampire Chronicles, Prince Lestat and, and Realms of Atlantis. But... um yeah. Anyway, it's, there's a lot there for an Anne Rice fan. So our non-spoiler uh, conversation, will just say definitely check it out if you haven't checked it out before, particularly and- knowing that there's a sequel that's now available. You know, you, you as as you said, Ashley, you didn't have to wait 30 years.
1: <laughs> Hallelujah. I'd be so pissed off if I had to wait that long for it. I mean, I would be livid right now if I was still... If I had read it, you know, years ago and was waiting because that's how much fun I had reading it. Um, And I'm I'm exactly the person you described. Mummies are not my thing. They're not my jam. I'm not a big fan of mummies in general. I will say that the Brendan Fraser mummy movies really won me over and kind of turned me around on that. But I did. I in no way expected to enjoy this book the way I did.
0: Uh, All right, so let's uh, sound the spoiler horn, so to speak, and get into our specific discussion of the novel. Um, Yes! So so first and foremost, let's talk about the, the nature of immortality in this book, compared to the vampires. Um, so these immortals are literally powered by the sun. Uh, you know, the, the story begins in, uh, 1914, the Edwardian period in England. You've got Lawrence Stratford who has discovered a tomb and they unearth this mummy, uh, w- who the writings in the tomb with him claim to be Ramses the second or, or as he calls himself, Ramses the damned. Now, Ramsey's tomb had already been opened at this point and and the body of Ramses the great is on display actually and it's an old man supposedly uh history would tell us that Ramses was king for like 60 years and that's what this uh mummy's writing said except that he also claimed to be immortal he faked his own death went on to counsel other kings and queens of egypt and then eventually decided to seek his his rest in this tomb uh so once he's brought out into the sunlight Boom, you get a reinvigoration. The, the mummy comes back to life and then the story takes off from there. Um, and as we already mentioned, these are horny mummies. The, the, the immortality, yes. <laughs> the, the elixir that empowers this being and, and the other beings that uh, may or may not eventually take on this formula. Um, they are never needing anything they don't need air they don't need food they don't need water they don't need sex but they desire all of those things they are never full they eat voraciously uh, they are driven to have sex at very uh inopportune moments and when, they do not sleep no they don't sleep that's another thing that fascinated me and especially as a young as a kid i always I hated to go to bed because I just felt like I was missing something, right? Like there was, there right. were things happening that I couldn't be a part of or couldn't be involved with if I was asleep. And even now when, when you add up and you see those statistics, you spend, you know, a third of your life asleep or something like that. Years and years by the time you're an old man, you spend unconscious. It seems like such a wasted thing. So the idea of an immortal being who doesn't have to sleep, who doesn't have to rest and can spend literally every moment, uh, in pursuit of knowledge or adventure or excitement or, or, or experience, Whatever that is, really, really, um, I am down for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, day and night. Like, not only is the sun awesome, but I can go out in it without you know burning to a crisp. So I do enjoy that that they don't have any, the limitations that the vampires have. You know what I mean? I think yeah, that that's
0: really. So where did he get the, where did he get this power the the idea is that Ramses as a as a young pharaoh he began to conquer the Hittites and he uh, discovered rumors of a priestess who had the secret for eternal life and he finds this woman the woman laughs at him and says that this elixir will destroy the world and Ramses doesn't understand that at the time but he begins to discuss it and 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 wrestle with this idea uh, over the course of the novel you know the the fact that this gift for him that will allow him to do anything and everything forever um, would if exposed to really anybody almost w- would lead to the literal destruction of the earth you know as he says in the book immortals could over people um mortals and very quickly fill up the earth it, it would be it would be um, unbelievable it would be a catastrophe uh, but he in his wisdom is able to um sort of contain it. He he destroys the formula, he destroys the, the records there after memorizing them, he kills the Hittite priestess and then keeps this secret to himself. He reigns for a long time, uh, and once his son wants to take over, he decides to wander the earth for a while, and then eventually he comes back to Egypt and lives as this secret immortal counselor to the queens and kings of Egypt, arising when they they call for him. Eventually, Cleopatra is one that calls for him, and that it's really where the crux of this story begins is the relationship with Cleopatra. So, what did you think about Well, first of all, what did you think about the historical figures period, the idea of using Ramses II uh, and Cleopatra in particular as like these characters in a a fictional novel?
1: Oh, I loved it. I think it's I think it's a brilliant, you know, a a brilliant way to keep to well to get get you interested in something or something you're already invested in you know you've already heard we've all already heard these stories i mean even if you don't know much about ramses you know everybody knows about cleopatra you know so it's it's a quick easy way to get your reader sort of invested in something they already have a little bit of an understanding about so it doesn't get you know, too bogged down in the minutiae, you can kind of embrace the new information you're getting. It sort of romanticizes a very already romanticized historical figure for us, which is super cool. I think. So,
0: uh, let's talk about the characters a little bit, uh, not just those two in particular, but the um, the mortal characters. So, can we you- talk
1: about the very beginning of this book and yeah, how I thought, How I think Lawrence is going to be like the main character, and then they turn around and like eighty slasher filmy and off him in like the first few chapters I was it's, like, it's literally oh, like the prologue happened? yeah it totally felt like scream i was like he, they just drew barrymore would me like what in the hell just happened here because i was like already in love with this dude so quick i was like this is like Indiana jones this guy is so cool and i was super pumped about him and then he was dead you know well and he- like
0: Rageous. He's so compelling too because it's it's not only that he's as you say he's sort of an Indiana Jones figure. He's here. He's you know tearing into the undiscovered tomb, but but you get to sort of hear it from inside his own head, right? You get a lot of his backstory Rageous. there in that first chapter. You discover that he's got this long secret relationship with his friend slash lover uh, that he's turned his back on because you know they're both upper class British men in a, a certain age when that was not a proper thing that they could could do. But also the fact that he turned his back on his fortune and his career and his place in British society. Why? Because he loves the treasures and tombs of Egypt. Because he's he's madly in love with ancient Egypt. And all of that is super compelling. And yeah, as you said, you're like, this is a character that I could follow through the whole book. You get hints that his daughter may be very like him. And, you, and you're like, okay, well, the younger daughter and this older Egyptologist, this could be a great pair. And then, boom, he's snuffed out. Which is... Yeah. The only thing that it does to the only thing that it serves to do is just to make sure that you absolutely hate, um, uh, uh not Elliot Henry. You hate Henry, Henry. yeah.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: you know, just, you just detest him from the outing and then, and from then
1: jump he, straight, he's an
0: ass. He earns <laughs> that and lives up to it again and again and again. And I gotta tell you, like, of all of the detestable characters that ann rice has written and she's written some real scoundrels right this guy oh. is just so unredeemable he's so completely wallowing in his own detestability uh and and especially when surrounded by such likable characters his father uh elliot you know is is a a bumbler and he's uh, a cheat and he's stolen a fortune from his friends and family and yet you still like him, you you care about him, and you think that he here the whole novel really is about Elliot trying to steal the elixir of life right from Ramses, and yet you still like him even at the end uh, but Henry has none of that
1: no no indeed no indeed he's he is he is absolutely irredeemable, and I kind of like that, you know like I think that especially in this day and age we deal with so much gray like it was really nice to read something where someone's just, just obviously a douchebag and that i don't have to like i don't have to give him grace i don't have to try to see his point of view he's just a dick and it's okay you know what i mean
0: Yes, absolutely. So the the other thing that um I I wanted to say there though is that I thought it was interesting that Henry is so anti-intellectual too, um and I, I don't know that this was necessarily something that was a hot topic at the time that the novel was written, but it seems so um uh, uh, currently uh, a hot timely. topic. Right, it's very <laughs> timely. Like the idea that the the one truthfully bad guy in this whole book is a devout anti-intellectual when confronted with the the idea that he has seen an immortal man you know a risen ancient pharaoh he has no interest in the mystery of it at all. He has no interest in, uh, he doesn't even care. He never wants questions how any of it happened or whether he could get the elixir himself or none of that. He's just like,
1: nope, just trying to see how he can make some yeah, money off kill of it, it, it with
0: fire, kill it with fire. Basically a run from it, you know? Uh, oh, it's just, it, it is, it is, um, that was refreshing to me to see anti-intellectuality, uh, you know, punished like that. Uh, and his end for that matter, while we're talking about Henry, um, let's just wrap it up there. The, the fact that he ends up a mummy himself i thought was very fitting and uh you know again like the fact that elliot is confronted with his body at one point and all that stuff i think it's just it is it's just right man it felt it felt uh the comeuppance there was very good in a book where there are not very many people punished and and things do not go exactly as you would planned uh, or as you might have planned this one is the one place where i was like utterly satisfied
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Do you think there's a possibility of us seeing him resurrected in the next novel? So it's possible.
0: Yeah, it's possible because you've got I mean, you know, you've got Chekhov's uh, Immortal Elixir, right? So at any point that could drop on anybody. But at the same time, I, I don't think it's necessary. I think the when you have two characters who are as compelling and as multifaceted as Ramses and Cleopatra, and there's at least the hint that there's another immortal in this next novel, in this sequel novel, that is involved in the storyline. I don't think you're going to need a immortal uh, provocateur. Um, well, in that case, he would be immortal, I suppose. But I don't. I don't think you need to bring back that petty villain. I don't think it's necessary at all. And again, like his his end was fitting. So no, I hope that nobody no, goes for back. Oh, sure, it was. <laughs> I hope that nobody goes back. So I'm 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 looking here. I don't have the book in front of me, and I'm I'm uh, googling. Um, Rapidly, because I'm not positive that I'm getting this name right, but um, Lawrence's friend and associate, his partner, is Samir. Is that right?
1: Yes. Samir, who he works with.
0: All right. Samir is probably other than ramses my favorite character in the entire book and the reason that i love him so much first of all i i i loved the idea that you had an actual egyptian egyptologist involved in this too yes.
2: um
0: and, and in a especially in a time where you know that the study and the industry was Uh, full, mostly, of uh, Brits. The idea that there were some learned, educated, uh, you know, respected um, sort of native uh, experts, I I really appreciated. The relationship between Samir and Lawrence and Samir and Julie uh, and and all of that is very, very beautiful, too. The way that he is so Um, bent on enacting revenge and vengeance for the death of Lawrence Um, once he discovers exactly what happened there uh, I really appreciated and respected that too but my favorite thing about Samir is the way in which he responds to Ramses you know Ramses is very much a Mary Sue right he's perfect In literally every way. (laughs) He's beautiful. He's funny. He's wise beyond all comprehension. And yet he's got just enough of a a flaw of humanity like he loves. And therefore, that's his his tragic flaw. He's so deeply in love with Cleopatra that he makes a bumbling error and, and tragedy ensues from it. And yet you don't you don't ever hang that on Ramses, right? You don't ever, you don't ever feel bad uh, for what he did. You're not angry with Ramses for doing this, and and that all of that together blows my mind. But everybody else responds to Ramses in different ways. Most people fall in love with him immediately. Even Julie's fiance finds him compelling and funny and wants to be his friend and likes being around him, etc. Um, then you've got uh, you know Elliot who is after the elixir, but even if he can't get the elixir he says to himself i want to just be with him i want to soak up what it is like to be around this ancient being this this incredibly wise this incredibly powerful being um but samir just wants to serve he just wants to honor and respect and acknowledge the presence of royalty really when it comes down to it
1: absolutely and i think part of that too has to do with his respect for Oh, gosh. Lawrence. Lawrence. Yes. For Lawrence's work, too. And like making sure that his work, his discovery is honored. You know, I think that that's part of it as well, because he has such lovely loyalty to to Lawrence as well. And you see that a little bit throughout, especially with the way he the way he tends to Julie and is trying to keep an eye on her and make sure she's OK. And and, and all of that, I think that he's just he's a, I agree with you. He's a fantastic character. I absolutely, absolutely adored him.
0: So, how surprised were you when we found Cleopatra's body, and then when he actually decided to revive her?
1: I um, well, because I know the title of the next book, <laughs> I I was not as shocked. But I think that um, what did surprise me was the like because it was such a human thing to do. Of him it was such a, a mortal thing to do not like a immortal wise being thing it was such a oh wow i I loved this person so much and 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 here she is and here's this opportunity and I owe her because she begged for it and I wouldn't I wouldn't help you know I wouldn't help her lover her and I punished her you know and so this was his way of making amends which to me was so human and so not like this immortal creature you know what I mean um and i th- I think that that was that was just yet another thing, like this stupid mistake you made because of love, which all of us have done at various points in life. Um, we can all relate to that. It's a very relatable thing, even though it's a completely unrelatable situation.
0: So the thing that stuck out to me this time that has never been there in any of my readings before, and I'm sure it's it's about the current climate that we live in and my own evolution as a human being. It is a transgression, what he does to Cleopatra, and and that occurred to me this time, and it never did before. I, I never thought about him assaulting her when he gives her the elixir, but that is exactly what he's done. It's it, it, uh, it's akin to rape. He
1: oh she he, didn't ask for that. that didn't not didn't only did she not ask out. for it,
0: she very specifically told him no. And when when he refused to give it to Antony, she says, "I'd rather die than." And she mm-hmm. now in the in her last moments, uh, we we discover in the book, she tells Ramses that as she was dying uh, from the poison, she then tried to ask for the elixir and was paralyzed. But but truthfully, that's not a I don't feel like that's a conscious, sober moment. Right. If you're literally choking to death, uh, being asphyxiated because of a poison, y- you'd say lots of things. I imagine everybody will struggle for life in the last moments. But what she had decided was she didn't want immortality without Anthony
1: without Anthony. I think
0: that's a wrong choice on her part. I think Ramses is absolutely right. And again, we only get his point of view really on this, but, but from what, how he describes uh, Anthony, to make him immortal would have been disastrous.
1: Dangerous. Yeah, right. dangerous. Would have been
0: incredibly dangerous. And we see the danger and the damage that Cleopatra can cause stumbling, bumbling all by herself. And we don't believe we're not shown in the book that Cleopatra is inherently an evil being uh, or desires to do evil or or whatever. She was someone that was ripped from a uh, a, a perilous moment of death, a a painful, um, y- you know, chaotic moment of death. And then lost in 2000 years of blackness, basically, and then ripped back into life. A painful, by the way, half life because she wasn't even fully formed. He didn't use all of the, the vial. So the combination of all those things, I think, can excuse most of her violence and, and, um, ca- casualness about human life. Um, if she had been brought into immortality in the proper way and Ramses had been with her, I think most of that would have been avoided. Having said all of that though, Yeah, this was not her choice. Like, and it occurs to me now, this is, I always felt like the failure of Ramses was, um, to, to do it halfway and to not.
1: Yeah, a kind of half-assed resurrection. Exactly.
0: And to not be involved in her tutelage, et cetera, et cetera, in those, in those first few hours so that he allows so many people to, to die. But to me, that's not really his fault. The fault is going against her wishes, making a choice, forcing her truthfully into immortality. And, I do wonder if that won't be played out in a larger way in the sequel. If we won't, if that won't be, in fact, the the largest question in many ways. Didn't he do it again to Julie at the end of the novel as well? Like she she jumps into the water. (laughs) She does not know that Ramses is there.
1: Right. She's trying to offer herself. Right. Mean, her she, snatches her up she it's not like
0: she doesn't know that she could have the elixir she's turned it down already she's sent him away so to speak you know and and the fact that he saves her the fact that when literally faced with the moment of her death she decides to drink the elixir again i don't think that changes the fundamental questions of is, is ramsey's basically forcing these women into immortality now elliot that's not the case at all right he gave him the vial and absolutely gave him a choice
1: a hundred percent
0: but that's not the case for the two females and it just
1: sort well, of blows my so mind with, with julie is it not more inter like like uh, trying to intercede on a suicide attempt and then at the end ends up i i don't know i don't know that i feel as as bad about it with julie because i feel like he i don't think I don't think you're wrong to try to save someone, save someone from suicide.
0: Yeah, that, that sort of like he you know, had like, put her I, I, into this because of his presence and because of the events, he had put her into a chaotic mindset that she would. If if she had never met him, she wouldn't have considered suicide in that moment. Absolutely. Is what you're saying? And so he's trying to yeah. intervene there, and then they have a conscious decision about immortality. Uh, maybe yeah. you're right. It's definitely it's definitely not to the level of pouring half the vial over a you know an ancient body.
1: And here we'll hope for the best or oh, half goodness. of this year and hope for the best. Lord, um, Lord. But Lord.
0: that, that moment, by the way, is, is the one moment in the book where I really do feel like though, that, um, Ramses becomes a fully three dimensional character. He's not a Mary Sue in that moment, because as you say, it is a very human decision. He's confronted with this lost love with, with decisions that he made that he's regretted now for 2000 years. And, given a chance to do something else he tested out right to remind himself once more can, can it really bring back something that ancient yes it can this real mummy hand is alive again I've thrown it into the sea now I'm gonna go bring back my my lost love and then when he actually does it. He has another human moment by being confronted with the terribleness of what he's doing. He can't even handle it. He, the, you know, Ramsey's the dam stumbles back from this corpse that comes alive and, and then is, you know, shot and confronted by the police. And it's a whole big thing. But, but I, I do think it's the one, it's the one scene that completely humanizes him for me. And so um, even though it's a big blunder, the fact that it gives us a cool rollicking adventure story for the rest of the thing. I, I, I forgive him. Um, how gross is it to have sex with a a half revived Cleopatra? (laughs)
1: um on a scale of one to ten i'm going to give that about a 12
0: right like there's there's so there's so many moments in those scenes um you know there's a couple of incidents there there's one where like she seduces a guy on a street then there's the time with elliot uh you know there's like three incidences i think before she's fully reformed and each one of them plays like you know the opening of american gods or something where the where the the shiva character swallows the guy whole with her vagina or something it's so terrifying the the idea of like the random sexual encounter turning malicious it reminds me of um again this novel was something that i read pretty young i was like 13 14 so i'm sure this has some effect of some effect on my own uh, adult uh sexual growth i'm sure but the, the other thing that it uh, reminds me of is like the species movies, right? Uh, the species, yes. the first species movie came yeah. out around the same time and you've got this beautiful creature, this the, a face that will launch a thousand ships literally. And yet when the, the, the sexy happy time process begins, it's, it always ends in uh, tragedy and horror. Um, it's an old trope, right? Like women are scary. That's what men have thought oh, for yeah,
1: always. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I don't know. That's, I don't think I'm, going to bed with Cleopatra just saying like that's (laughs) not anything I'd, I'd, I'd pick to do I mean, I'm sure
0: she's lovely, but (laughs) yikes. Well, I would wait till her cheek was whole, at least. Like, that's the. I I will say this. um, So, I was searching for uh, on our little project board, I was searching for an image to go for this episode, and there are a lot of great covers of the mummy, but one in particular that I started to use, and I think this is actually from like um, maybe an illustrated edition or something, but it's an image of Cleopatra um, with her headdress and everything, except half of her face is still mummified, and like there's an open wound and her cheek that sort of looks like you know 2 Face from the from the dark night <laughs> you know it's 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 crazy looking i was like the yeah image, man take that to bed absolutely
1: the image that really stuck with me was her having to like cover up her her like leg that's still just like bone and dust like, yes the, to bone like toes, ex- the bone just- toes
0: the bone toes in the sandal
1: know why that stuck with me so hard, but I was like, girl, you need to get yourself a nice full skirt and maybe put that, put that bone foot in a boot and it's going to be fine.
0: (laughs) So, um, so we mentioned it sort of in passing at the beginning but there is a there is a lot of um, I say a lot there is a decent amount of discussion of bisexuality in this book which is uh, not a topic I think that you read a lot about in the 80s um, when this came out uh, but it is a theme that's very common in Anne's writing I think Anne's sexuality itself is uh, pretty fluid and almost all of her characters tend to be on that spectrum somewhere too. Um, Elliot and Lawrence we've already decided to described they had a relationship as young men, but also, um, Elliot had an affair with Henry, uh, when he was younger as well.
1: Oh yes, that's right. Yes. That, that surprised me. I did not see that coming. Well,
0: I I I think the, it, it, it layers on and what it does is it, it allows some believability for the fact that all of these extended characters have allowed Henry to continue to sort of be this leech on their lives you know each one of them has their own reason for sort of ignoring it or looking the other way um and i think in particular Elliot, his reason is because they have had this past dalliance and and i think and there there are some implications there that it's tied up in sort of like his own feelings for lawrence and the fact that henry maybe looked a little like lawrence or something like that and so there's there's the connection there but the I I don't know. I felt like that was very that was humanizing for him. They sort of played in the novel like maybe on Henry's part, it was totally for money, and I hate. I kind of hate that. I kind of like the idea that Henry is is fluid as well, and just happened to use it to his advantage because that's what he is. He's a terrible guy.
1: He's a user for sure. I do love that Elliot was like not having it when Henry tried to blackmail him. Oh, he just straight up
0: laughed at him. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Should
1: I should I tell your father first or or everybody knows.
0: everybody knows I'm a fairy. Don't worry about it. Like the, you know, like that's not the, he was not concerned about any possible personal ramifications. He's like, I'm going to live my life. Uh, you are and, ridiculous.
1: And he basically laughs at him. He's like, you're going to, you're going to blackmail me for 500 pounds. You don't want more than that. Yeah. You're not even a good blackmailer.
0: Um, so I, I thought all of that was good. And, and it, it's interesting to see her continue to play with, with some of these similar themes. I I'll be interested to see. It's not openly stated, but it sort of implied that Ramses might be um, fluid as well. It would be interesting, I think, to see if Ramses took a lover, a male lover, as well in in the sequel. Um, where else? I, there was one other point in here before we get to the sort of denouement that I wanted to make, and I can't remember. Oh, okay. Here, here's the question. What What do you think? Confronted with this set of circumstances, let's put yourself in Elliot's position. Do you want the elixir? Do you take the elixir?
1: Ooh. If I'm Elliot or if I'm Ashley? Uh,
0: well, I guess, I guess if you're Ashley, let's say you're Ashley, but, but you're like 65 year old Ashley.
1: If I'm Ashley, I'm only taking that elixir. If I get to share it, you know what I mean?
2: Mm. Yeah,
1: I'm not I don't want to be immortal by myself. I think that would suck. I think it would really, really suck. It's I mean, it. I think that it sucks enough getting older and losing people that you love, period. Like, I mean, I've lost so many friends over the past 10 years. It just is ridiculous for someone that's our age. You know what I mean? Um, I think it would be awful to be immortal alone. I would definitely want like I would like to share it. I would do it if I could share it. I think it would be badass to like Run around with someone awesome for the rest of my life, you know like if i I could share it with my husband Brett, who's amazing, I would love that that would be amazing, but I'm not going to drink that elixir and just sit around and be a sad sack by myself
0: no i'm I'm a thousand percent with you the the idea of of coming into and out of civilization throughout eons like of being able to experience different timelines and different ways that people perceive and interact with their world and interact with one another i, I that would be that would be amazing to me but yeah, I mean, I've seen enough of the Highlander series uh, to know exactly. that nobody nobody wants to live forever, right? I mean, that's the Queen song. Who you wants know to live forever? A
2: whole song about it. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, so, so no, like you, you're you're absolutely right. Now, the idea of being a Julie, for instance, and of uh, finding this this perfect, um, you know, um, immortal being to shepherd you into it and to take you out of the fragility of mortal life i think that would be very compelling uh oh yeah
1: some 22 year old ashley probably would do it you know what i mean like
0: yeah well it's 22 year old ashley thinks she's gonna live forever anyway right
1: (laughs) right exactly so i mean i probably yeah back then but being older and wiser
0: see i don't know but i feel like there's a there's a point and again this is this is my question about when you're sort of on death's doorstep is it Are you even capable of making a rational choice or or an actual decision? Uh, And I think about, let's go back to the Vampire Chronicles for a moment. You know, Lestat attacks. He says that he's going to give Louis the choice. But he attacks him and kills him first, basically, and then says, do you want to drink my blood? When you're dying, <laughs> I think it is in our nature, right? We have a fight or flight, uh, Absolutely. reaction. The, 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 the reptilian part of our brain screams to live, I think. And so we can't make those higher function choices. And I feel like Elliot's basically in that position too. When you are daily confronted with your own mortality, when everything you do hurts, when You can feel your body beginning to shut down, which is the way that Elliot is described, especially towards the end of the book, after some of their adventures. Of course, you're going to take the medicine. You know, all I have to do is drink this and all my pain goes away. All I have to do is drink this and the vigor of youth will return. It won't hurt when I bend over. It won't hurt to kneel down. I can jump. I can run. I can screw. I can fight. I can drink. I can smoke. Yes. Yes, give me that back. Um so yeah, anyway, I think it's a I think it's a fascinating question and I love the way that it plays out with all of these characters. I especially love Samir and his complete lack of interest in it. I want nothing oh, yeah, to sure. do with immortality.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I but I think that that's that's how we know he's the best of these people though too, is that he's he looks at things I think very with very different eyes than the rest of our characters do. I think he's he's a scholar and he is um, he's from a, a different world than they are. You know, I think that I think that's one of the signs that he that he is a, a a great person, a good person. You know what I mean? At the core, at the core, he's playing the game fairly.
0: How badly do you feel for Julie's uh, fiance? We haven't really mentioned him at all. He's he's sort of a, a well, he's a bit of a Mary Sue in his own way, too, except he's dumb yeah. as a, boxer, a box of a box of bricks. Um, Sweet guy. Uh, He is even gentlemanly and, um, you know, polite in the way that he eventually gives way to Ramses when it's clear that that's the way things are going to go for for Julie. And yet. I mean, do you feel like she did him wrong or do you feel like that that he was just caught up in events and, and that everybody treated him fairly as things went?
1: Okay. I dated an Alex. (laughs) I I totally dated an Alex. I mean, he wasn't as goody two shoes as Alex, but I totally dated an Alex once and he was just boring. He just wasn't very fun to be around. He was, um, and any of the fun was really manufactured and forced. You know what I mean? It was just, he was a super nice guy, but he was really, really boring. And so, and I think that he had to have known that that wasn't going to fly with me for a super long time. You know what I mean? like with my personality type. And I feel like Alex at his core had to have known that Julie was not the right fit for him. Like on paper, it looks great and, and monetarily it looks great. And it's one of those good matches as they like to say back in the day, you know, Oh, you made a great match. Um, but I think that knowing her and knowing, knowing her personality and knowing her, her sense of adventure and her lust for life. I I just don't, I think deep down he had to have known that that wasn't the right fit. Now, I do kind of feel bad for him that he gets dumped and then he ends up getting involved with Cleopatra almost immediately. And that's kind of this weird, like, I, I can't even imagine where his, his little head was when that, that, that whole thing starts up. You know what I mean? But I do like that even Cleopatra is like, oh, I don't think I'm going to kill him. He's so sweet. He's well, adorable. I'm not going to Not just so him. sweet,
0: but but she... And she makes references to the, the fact that he has his own sort of quality. You know, he's not Ramses. He's not Mark Antony. He's not Julius Caesar. He, he's not a uh, a man who will command uh, you know attention throughout time and history. And yet... He does have a certain prince charming quality to him, and he is ultimately genteel. He is yeah,
1: uh, a gentleman, uh, absolutely.
0: Yes, and and genuinely cares about, and longs for, and seeks to bring about the happiness and pleasure of those that he cares for, uh, whether that be Julie or Cleopatra or, or or whatever. The the relationship with Cleopatra is very interesting to me. Uh, I knew some Alexes as it relates to the Cleopatra relationship. I I knew some guys who were with a woman who was clearly beyond their their league but also like <laughs> it was it was convenient for her like she had a she has a puppy you know effectively um absolutely and and there is something uh some some, some women w- women and men uh, in fact uh like a relationship that is completely off balance like that um and uh it's interesting to see that play out in the novel um i will be interested to see If that character comes back and is involved in any great deal in the sequel, Um, because of the relationship to Cleopatra, because of the nonsense that they fed him on his way back to England, it'll be interesting to see how he is affected by the sequels uh, events. Now that basically everybody, all the main characters are immortal. Um, So. Let's get to the the very conclusion. I like the fact that it, it basically ends up in a misunderstanding and miscommunication. You know, uh, Ramses is not really trying to harm her there. That is truthfully not their goal. He mostly wants to talk. She is so angry at him. She won't have it. Alex is in the middle. It all sort of explodes. And then she just um, drives away. I I almost I thought about it a lot after I finished the novel this time. How else could you have concluded the book? You know, like uh, how else? I mean, I guess they they could have if there was a volcano handy near Egypt, you could have thrown her in a volcano or something like that. But I mean, there's no uh, molten metal factory like at the end of Terminator Two to drop her in, right? Like that's <laughs> you you pretty much like a train explosion is really the only way to make that happen in a plausible way that the characters could all walk away and go, well, she must have died. Yeah, um, that must be it. <laughs> yeah 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 so I, I i loved the way that that's the way that it played out you know a and and ramses again is left with regret and And, uh, uh, the feelings that he was responsible for Cleopatra's death here again, you know, he allowed her to die once in the ancient world. He brought her back against her wishes into this half-life. And then even after she's reformed, now he's erased her into, he's chased her into this, this train explosion. So I, I think that's good. And is, I'm sure going to play out when she confronts them in the sequel novel. Um, what what are what are your hopes for that relationship where do you Where do you think that might go? How do you think that will be resolved?
1: I have no doubt that she's probably going to come out like gangbusters, you know, like guns blazing, like furious anger the the fury of an immortal creature that's been wronged many times by the same dude. You know what i mean but i I do hope that she doesn't end up getting super two dimensional. You know what I mean? I hope that there's still. I hope that we don't lose depth. I hope we don't lose that, that, um, the gray, you know what I mean? Like, I hope that she doesn't become a character truer. That's kind of what, what I'm really hoping because I, I sort of feel like in this book, it didn't feel like she was the villain, you know, like air quotes around it. I felt like, I felt like, Olah Henry was our villain. You know what I mean? And then it was like, she was this added delight that was you know very complicated and and it was hard for me to look at her as as the bad guy and i just hope that in this next book it doesn't it doesn't turn into like she doesn't turn into like a caricature of a mustache twirling villain you know what i mean
0: Yes, no, absolutely. I think uh, it seems to me that it is very likely they end up going with basically the Avengers formula. So I think the book is likely to start. The inciting incident will be basically a confrontation between Cleopatra and Ramses, and perhaps there will even be a couple of battles in one way or another between those two camps. And then both of them will have to turn their attention away from one another. They will have to resolve their differences and work together to confront a larger problem in Whatever this, this other, uh, immortal being, uh, you know, the, the, the blurb about the sequel, uh, says something about another ancient queen that has plans for both of them. So, um, I, I Ooh. think, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's entirely possible that that is exactly where they go. I mean, that's, that's the way Batman versus Superman worked, right? That's the way the Avengers movie worked. I think that's the way you do it when you bring these, uh, these huge characters together. I have a feeling that's exactly what Christopher and Anne are going to do. Um, let me ask you this. What do you think the possibilities of, of this story are, especially with the, the new novel coming out this month? Could you see this as a as a movie? Could you see this as a TV series? Where where would you like to see it adapted if they were going to do something?
1: I think it would make a fabulous film. I really do. I don't. I don't feel like there's really enough there to make like a long term series. You could maybe do like a, a a short limited run, kind of a Netflix sort of like you know maybe eight episodes for both books I just don't feel like you can really drag it out it's it's uh I mean I guess you could but to me I feel like the format would a film format would be fantastic for it um I feel like that last mummy movie with Tom Cruise (laughs) haha my favorite um really did not bring it if you will But um, I think I have such fond memories of the Brendan Fraser mummy films, especially the first two. Let's pretend like the third one didn't happen. It's like Rocky five. It didn't happen. It was not a thing. Um, But those first two um, Brendan Fraser mummy films were so much fun. And I feel like this book kind of follows that sort of that sort of adventure. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, It sort of turned my expectation around, though, because I was I went into this expecting the mummy expecting ramses to be the bad guy you know because that's kind of how my brain was wired from previous mummy experiences so it delighted me that that was not the case but i do i do think these would make some fantastic films now after reading the second book i may i may feel like you know like a good hulu or netflix series would be the best way to do it but well the, the
0: thing be- that occurs to me is this story is so self-contained and it is so plot driven it is it is it's as you said, such a quick read, it feels very natural to turn this into a two, two and a half hour movie. And then what you could do if you, if you have six, the other thing is it's not going to be an expensive movie to make either. If you don't cast, you know, gigantic names as the stars, then why would you Right, There's not really a need. The special effects in this are not going to be huge. The transformations are going to be the only thing that are going to be, uh, you know, really sizable. And then, and then the other thing is going to be your set design basically, because you're going to be talking about, you know, 1914, 1920s, uh, Um, Egypt and London, you know, that would be your your primary expense will be costume and set design. But the idea I would think is that you could make one solid film out of this. If it's successful, if you have, you know, good response to the characters and the actors, then you could very easily make a film out of the sequel novel. Uh, probably I mean, we haven't read that one yet but I'm assuming it's going to be a similarly uh, adventurous story but you could even then go back if you wanted to and make a prequel or two telling the story of Ramses and Cleopatra you could Which tell would love. right wouldn't that be wonderful so again you could make you could make a because uh, nobody wants to make a one-off project anymore right so there is the potential here where you could make several films you could make a lot of money over the overall franchise and yet you wouldn't have to put hundreds of millions of dollars into any one production and and also, uh, this isn't going to be some like, you know, 10 or 15 year commitment. You're not going to be locked into a, a seven season series where the, the stars are all going to be making millions and millions of dollars by the end of the thing. Anyway, I, I think, I think it is ripe for, uh, adaptation and I hope that the, uh, the sequel novel will get a good response from the public and, and therefore maybe it'll gen up some more interest, especially in light of the fact that Anne and Christopher are working on the TV series. Now, I think they're in the right rooms to have these discussions. And so hopefully we'll hear, we'll, we will hear uh, more on this as well. So um, I'm excited about all the possibilities. Uh, overall, what would you say? Where would you put this in the, the rankings of your Anne Rice novels? I, I know that's sort of hard to do because so many of the vampire Chronicles it's not just about the novel themselves. It's about what we think of the characters and our overall sort of love for those stories. But um, I, to me, I, I really do. I like this one. This is one of my favorites of hers. Um, If you just take it as a novel, I'd probably put it, I don't know, behind Memnock and tale of the body thief, maybe the vampire Lestat. But other than that, I think it's probably my, my fourth or fifth favorite, favorite book that she's ever written.
1: Yeah, it's definitely in my top five. But I have some weirdos in my, like Pandora's in my top five. I love Mm. that. And this sort of had that same sort of feel to it to me, like a, a good standalone, but still feels very much like, and Anne Rice, you know, and it feels like Anne Rice. I, I'd course, like to pand- point
0: out, I'd like to point out Pandora is like the one vampire book that's got sex in it, too. So we know what you're about, Ashley. We understand.
1: <laughs> sexy vampires, <laughs> sexy mummies. Um, no, I but I I can't believe how much I love this. I really was surprised and delighted. It was so and, and I guess, too, because this is the first time since we've started doing this that I've read something I haven't read at all. It was really fun for me. And so it, it wasn't a re-exploration. It was like this, this first time experience. So um, I would definitely put it in my top five for sure. It might even, it might even be my top three, to be honest. Like I was really, really, really enchanted.
0: Um, all right. Well, I, I think that's a, a strong enough suggestion for it from us, folks. Uh, don't forget to uh, not only go and check out uh, The Mummy or Ramsey's the Damned, but also pre-order your copy of Ramsey's the Damned, The Passion of Cleopatra by Anne Rice and Christopher Rice coming out November 21st this year, 2017. And when you pre-order, uh, email your receipt to Ramsey's novel at gmail.com, uh, along with your uh, name and address, by the way, and you can win a copy of a page of the manus- manuscript of Ramsey's the damned the passion of cleopatra signed by both Anne and christopher rice so that's very very cool um ashley oh, and,
1: uh, yes you i'm know sorry what, too? they are uh, not doing a lot of book touring for this ah yes i, uh, I read that on uh, i think christopher made a post a few days ago about that but they are doing a book signing i can't remember what bookstore but if you check out christopher's um social media. If you check out his Facebook page, there's some information on that. If you'd like to get a signed copy of the book, how you can kind of go about that because they're trying to make it easy for people to get their hands on signed copies if they want, even though they're not doing a big, a big book tour for this one. And I think this one's being released in paperback too. Like and it's a big release too.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm 99% certain that you're right. I uh, actually ordered the audible version. I ordered the audiobook version. I am s- bummed by the way. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to Christopher and Ann and tell them that they need to hire this audiobook narrator. I know named Joel to um, create a audiobook <laughs> version of the original mummy, uh, which is there. So there is a, a, a version that you can buy, but it is an abridged version. It's only about two and a half hours long and it is, is not the full novel by any stretch of the imagination. And it, Came out, I think, about the same time as the novel. It's from the early '80s, so um, definitely one that they need to update and put in those stores. I love the au- the audiobook versions, and especially the Vampire Chronicles are so well narrated, too. Um, I- I'm sure that will be the case with uh, the Mummy sequel as well. Uh, Ashley, any final thoughts on this one before we wrap it
1: up? Just if you haven't read it, read it. I-, I really highly recommend it. I think that it's such a it's such a delightful pleasure read. Like I just I can't I can't overstate it, guys. It probably took me three hours to read and it was just great escape fiction and I didn't feel tortured about it. You know, sometimes I feel when I'm in, when I'm, when I'm hanging with my vampires, I feel a little tortured. This did not feel tortured at all.
0: Yeah, that is, it's absolutely true. There's, there is very little, um, you know, there, it's weird because there is pathos in this book. I mean, there is there there are deep ideas. There are you know considerations of immortality, for instance. But it does it does not feel weighty at all. It does not feel no. like a chore. Um, yeah, cannot recommend it enough. Check out the mummy or Ramsay's the damned. All right, we will be back uh, before too long with another episode of this wonderful podcast, Articulate Coven. In our next episode, we're going to be discover- discussing the novel, The Vampire Lestat. Now, we will eventually get around to uh, discussing the sequel novel to this book, uh, Ramsey's the Damned, The Passion of Cleopatra, but uh, I think we're going to give it at least six months or so, maybe even a year, to make sure that everybody gets a chance to read it and catch up before we get there. Uh, that's definitely going to be the case uh, before we get to the uh, Prince Lestat and, and Realms of Atlantis novels. So, uh, no rush on the new stuff, folks. Take your time to read that. But do, if you haven't in a while, go back and check out The Vampire Lestat so that you'll be ready to have that discussion with us. Of course, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, search for The Articulate cover. Cup- and Facebook group, and uh, we'll love to add you there. Uh, for the deal that Ashley mentioned, ordering the autographed copies of the sequel to Ramses, I'll put a link to the show notes as well. So you can check it out there and uh, go straight uh, through and order your copy if you'd like to get an autographed copy, since they aren't going to be uh, touring very much with this one. Uh, Ashley, appreciate you making some time for us this morning, and uh, thanks for uh, reading The Mummy with me.
1: Absolutely. It was a delight.
0: All right, until the next time, we have been The Articulate Coven. We're your hosts.
1: Ashley Wright-Eiler.
0: And Joel Sharpton. And this is The Articulate Coven. Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com. And share us with your Anne Rice loving friends.